welcome to the false neutral this is episode number 68 this is eric i am writing solo this week as uh, garrett and i have as usual having trouble syncing up our uh, our schedules but we do uh, do have a guest this week i'm very happy to have uh, chris johnham on the show this week, uh, Chris, I've known for a long time. And in fact, he uh, he let me write an article article or two for him back in the day when he was editor of Road Racer X. But uh, let's let Chris tell the story of, of uh, him and all the things he's done. It's pretty it's a pretty cool uh, story, and he's done a lot of things. So, Chris, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. It's uh, it's it's good to be back uh, back in touch. It's been a while. It has. Um, I think even uh, back in the old podcast they did rumble strip radio i think i had you on once or twice on that and yeah uh, like like i said uh wrote at least i wrote one and i think we think we talked about another one but that's kind of when things shut down at road racer x but yeah well you guys are kind of ahead of, ahead of the curve on the whole podcast thing it's uh it's kind of picked up a lot of steam since then, hasn't it? Yeah, it's, it's funny. Ten years ago, I'm doing this, and it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now everyone's doing one, so it's like, well, I guess I got to <laughs> do one again, right? So yeah, yeah. But rather than talk about just racing all the time, we're trying to trying to broaden the spectrum and appeal to a wider audience, and we'll see how that goes. So, but I, we're I can relate. Sixty eight episodes in, so I guess we're doing okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a good number. That's the year I was born. Um. <laughs> so. Uh, uh, a lot of people may not be inter- not be familiar with you, um, so give us a little background of, of what you've done in you know in your career. Yeah, well, it's uh, let's see. I mean, I'll try to try to kind of keep it somewhat concise. I, I I have spent the bulk of my career in motorcycle journalism. Um, I started with Cycle News in like '92, and I was there off and on for ten years in various capacities. Um, and then I went to uh, I, I went to filter filter um, publishing to um, to start Road Racer X, which was based off of an existing magazine, Racer X, uh, which is still around. Um, and I ran that for eight years. And um, when that was done, I went to I switched over to PR. Uh, I was the um, press officer for. Ducati for the MotoGP team in 2011, 12, and 13, and um, that was that was a great adventure. But um, it was just a ridiculous amount of travel uh, for a family guy. So um, I let that expire. Um, I let the contract run out at the end of 13, and I've been doing PR here in the U.S. since then, um, in the mainly in the power sports industry. Um, and I just started my own little agency um just a few months ago so so yeah like you've been as we were joking ahead of uh, ahead of when we started recording you've been both a hack and now you're a flack (laughs) (laughs) exactly yep i I, i've been i've seen both sides and um enjoyed them both um there's um there's there's positive things about both both sides of the of the equation um and uh I think I definitely draw upon my journalism background in PR and marketing. I, I do miss it a, a bit uh, sometimes, but on the other hand, I had a really good run in journalism and had sort of accomplished everything that I could have hoped to, and I was ready for a different challenge. And like I said, it's just sort of like looking at something that you know, like if you just imagine your hand, there's always, there's a saying, you know, something like the back of your hand. Well, that was like me with journalism. So now it was just turning my hand over and looking at the front of my hand. I still knew it, but um, there was obviously some new stuff to to pick up, which um, has been been fun to do. 
I think I first met you or first we, we became acquainted when you were with Road Racer X. And as you said, you, you kind of helped start that or you did start that up when as a spinoff. And it was for those who aren't familiar, if you haven't been around for a while, Road Racer X was was nice because it was. I, I, and I use this term as in a good way is like it's a higher style. It had a nicer, nicer finish, the glossy images and I think a little little better quality of, of written material. And so. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, well, we we like I said, we sort of based it off the model of Racer X, which is motocross focused. Um, it's a it, that's a very successful, popular magazine that Davey Coombs started, and um, he wanted to do one in road racing, so he brought me on board, and I really just based it off of what he had already done, just in the road racing realm. And it's what, the approach that we took was we tried to be evergreen and with our content um stories that were not uh we, we, we didn't consider ourselves a news magazine it was much more a lifestyle sort of like maybe like a surfing magazine for motorcycle racing um we did a lot of profiles on racers or personalities that were in the industry and if we covered a race we tried to find a different way to look at it than just a news report we would sometimes try to be embedded with a team or um, look at an event through the perspective of a, of a individual, whether it be a rider or a mechanic or a team man manager. So it was, it was a challenge to, to think of, to come up with unique story concepts. But um, that was, is what I think made us successful along with, you know, a good, good, Good network of uh, writers, many of whom were freelance, most of whom were freelance, and um, uh, really good photographers, mm -hmm. um, and good designer, and then good, relatively good uh, print production. Yeah, and then that got you got well. You Road Racer X kind of got caught up in the whole downturn of the economy in oh eight nine, right? Yeah, yeah. I think we started the magazine in oh three and. Not too long after that, yeah, uh, a couple things um, happened which which hurt us. One was uh, the economy, uh, the financial crisis, and then the the other was well, actually three things. One of the other things was the problems that the domestic series was was having. They, they changed ownership uh, during that time too, and then just the struggles that that journalism was and is still facing. Uh, it's just tough to make an advertising supported business model makes sense these days if you're not like uh, facebook or google <laughs> yeah 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 and then that's a whole transition from print to digital and that was a whole other whole other mess that that needed to be probably was needed to be made more so than what you were already doing yeah i mean we were you know we had the print magazine which was always just kind of what we were known for we did we did have a website too and we were, we were pretty good on that and on social media um we never did duplicate our content. We always had unique content on all the different platforms. And, you know, we did about as good as you can do, I think, with a really small crew. But like I said, it was uh, it was just tough when, it, when your business model is based off of selling advertising. Um, it was just, it was really tough to do and, and continues to, to be tough to do as we've seen yeah. yep. here recently. Yep. I guess that's probably a good segue to talk about sort of the motorcycle industry sort of in general but more print uh, more print or journalistic side of it is we've seen consolidation with um uh well 10 has gone its own way which 
and then Bonnier's its own thing now. And then there was just an announcement that they're, they just consolidated a bunch of their magazines. So mm-hmm. what sport writer is gone now. Um, motor, wait, not motorcycle, motorcyclist still exists, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Motorcyclist is actually, yeah. So the sport writer is gone. And again, I'm, I'm speaking, um, I'm, I'm not, uh, a, a part of Bonnier, but, uh, yeah. From what I understand, um, Sport Rider is 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 now has now been folded, which is it's 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 sad, you know. The, those guys can't, and those guys have done a great job over the years and worked hard. But again, I think it's just it's just tough to to make it work these days. Um, so anyway, that's that's gone, and then, then um, Motorcyclist has actually taken on a new sort of a rebrand um, uh, earlier this year. Or maybe toward the end of last year, uh, with the print product, it's um, it's it's sort of like I was saying with, with Road Racer X in a way, um, it, where it's evergreen content, it's um, fewer fewer issues, uh, bigger page counts, and this the the content is just uh, more kind of evergreen, where the the stories are in, aspirational and inspirational um, more than just completely literal. Uh, information, you know, so yep. really good photography and some really nice stories lately. And then I think that's helped to sort of differentiate it from Cycle World a little bit um, because that's always a problem that I think Bonnier has faced with those two titles, or at least since they've had those two titles. But um, they're they're trying trying some new stuff and and trying to make it work, which I respect them for because like a you know, although I'm on the other side of the equation now, I still am a big fan of uh, journalism generally and moto journalism specifically and um you know just cheering those guys on they they they, there's some talented people there and they they work their butts off and um they're putting out some good stuff both the print stuff and the um and online yeah and 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 part of the problem is it's it's a couple fold as you said so advertising is shrinking every day uh especially in the in the actual print world and then two motorcycles there that the, the industry itself is in better shape but it still is nowhere near where it was say pre crisis let's say let's go to let's say 2005 you know 2005 right. 2006 sort of at the at the the peak and even then it was sort of trending down a little bit mm-hmm. i mean it's just nowhere near as far as new motorcycle sales and new motorcycle sales dictate advertising and and everything else so uh, yeah and it's tough as you said but you know, it's it's the world we live in. We live in a, our 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 uh, I would say our hobbies, but our interests and our passions lie in what's becoming even tighter of a niche or smaller of a niche. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it is it is tough. I mean, we, you know, like like you said, we it's it's what we love, and um, you know, I'll I'll be a part of it till I can no longer be a part of it, basically. Right. And overall, yeah, it, it's. I think the industry has. Uh, it, it is. It, I think. It, I, I don't. I think it's sort of bottomed out and is sort of um, doing a bit better now. Um, and there are certainly bright spots. You know, I mean, I, our main client is American Honda, and um, what they've done really well with is side by sides. So there, there's things you know like that, like uh, ATVs, like adventure bikes. You know that. Um, there, there are bright spots, and um, everybody who tries it seems to love it. But there's just a lot of um, 
pastimes competing for people's attention and and you know motorcycling has to compete against all those and sure you know i don't know if it's a generational thing um one thing that i like that i've seen that 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 or that i've 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 respected honda for doing and and some of the other manufacturers as well is making an investment in beginner friendly bikes mm-hmm. um and you know they've actually caught a little bit of flack on on occasions um from hardcore people and um i mean i can i can understand that but uh on the other hand i feel what they're doing is is the responsible thing to do as a corporate citizen and and it's it's helps the whole industry by trying to bring new people into the pool instead of just focusing on the high end expensive high performance stuff um they are they do they have come out with some really good high performance stuff too like the CBR and the CRF and the um you know Africa Twin things like that but um they have made models like the Rebel and some of the smaller CBs and things like that that um that don't cost a whole lot and are not too intimidating and uh, but are still still have kind of a cool factor and are a lot of fun and i think that um that is the way, that's about the only way that we can really hope to to get things back anywhere near where they used to be. Yep. And and you hit on a spot that we've talked about on the show a lot of of trying to and and actually encouraging manufacturers and the OEMs to the 390s, the 400s, you know, say anything yep. under say 650, you know, 650 is a twin versus a four cylinder and yep. that 30, let's say 35 to eight say 80 horsepower era area where it's you can still have fun especially if you make a light bike and it's still fun to ride but as you say it's much more friendly to someone who's never ridden before or trying to get someone back into riding who maybe gave it up 10 or 15 years ago yeah exactly and you know the 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 the, the price of entry isn't too too high and i think that's that's a big part of it is just to make the product available and then we just as an industry have to do a good job of evangelizing i guess or even better just sort of not not telling people what to do but showing them what to do and telling inspirational stories and um you know trying to open people's eyes to the to the to the adventure and the and the 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 fun and the stimulation that riding a motorcycle is um i think if people consider it and try it they'll they'll love it and so now it's the manufacturers have made the products, and we just have to inspire inspire more people to give them a try. Yep, agreed, agreed. And then after Road Racer X, you uh, well, you joined the circus. <laughs> <laughs> you you yeah. left home and you left home and went and joined the circus for a few years. So, talk a little bit about. MotoGP and and that adventure, especially. I mean, you know, you want to talk about jumping into the circus and then going to work for one of the iconic, you know, motorcycle companies of the world. I mean, there you go. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. It was a, it was a it was a dream really to to have that opportunity to go travel with a team and go to all the the MotoGP rounds full time and and just to sort of see it from the inside and um and be a part of a project that is is being run by a group of people with everybody hopefully pulling in the same direction and everything. Um, it was obviously uh, a challenging time. Mm-hmm. It, it was, uh, again, I think it was 11, 12, and 13. So I came in 
to Ducati right when Valentino joined them, and then it was with uh, uh, Nikki was already there, and I, and I worked a lot with Nikki, who I, I knew well from from before. You know, as as everybody remembers, that was a tough tough three years. Valentino for two years, and he left, and then um, Davizioso came in for for his first year when I was there. And we, in the meantime, we switched directors at uh, Ducati Corsa from Preziosi to uh, Gobmeyer. And then when I left um, was when um, Gigi was coming in. Mm-hmm. And so it was a tumultuous uh, period, but I met a lot of great people and, and, you know, just had those bonding experiences that you have when you're traveling with someone and, and working hard to try to make something work. And I, I still have those relationships and, and treasure that, that experience. Like I said earlier, it was, it's basically just came down to um, being gone too much, you know, being on the road two, three weeks at a time and missing my young daughter and wife. And so I, that's really about the only reason I left. And, um, but I, I, I'm really glad to have had that opportunity. So and in, in those, like say back to back races, you're literally going from one track flying, you, you, do you even get to come home for a day or two before you fly back out? Um, uh, and and you and, and you're, you picked up and actually moved to Italy for this, right? right. Yeah, well, and my wife's from Italy, and I, I had lived there a year before, so it wasn't that hard. I do speak Italian, so that that wasn't as shocking as it might have been for someone else. Um, which but, which uh, also explains why the translations for all the between Italian and English for all the press releases were so good, right? Because <laughs> reading reading some it's 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 sorry, it's a bit of a joke with if you don't get all the press releases. I still get all the press releases for MotoGP <laughs> and some of the translations for some of, you know, the French teams or wherever, and it's like especially the Spanish teams. Like most of them are pretty good, but sometimes the 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 diction is just a little bit off and it's just it's funny. So Yeah, no, I I know what you mean. It's it's uh, it's it's not easy trying to write stuff in multiple languages. But I worked with uh, I, I worked with an Italian lady, and she would usually write them in English or in Italian, and then I would translate them into English. Uh, Federica, did right. the, the this? Yeah, and she's actually with um, uh, Repsol Honda now, and um, and actually I still help remotely with the communications that they send out um, with the English versions. Well, um, yeah, just she writes them in English, and I just kind of clean them up a little bit. But um, anyway, yeah, it was just uh, it was a, it was a, it was a lot of fun. Oh, and, and you're asking about you're asking about the the, tra- the travel the back to back stuff. So the uh, for me it was like the first two years I was based in Italy, and then the last year I was I, I was based back in the U.S. So when I was in the U.S., I would often go over and stay for like even if it wasn't a back to back, if it were like if there was one weekend off, sometimes I'd stay over there for three weeks. But then obviously when it's um, – if it's back-to-back within Europe, then usually you can come home for a couple of days. Uh, at, le- at least the, um, the, uh, the, you know, the press officers could. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mechanics sometimes would go straight to the next race. But then for the flyaways, you know, Malaysia, Japan, and Australia, then though that's, that's yeah. generally a three-week – at least back then it was a three-week uh, back-to-back um, stretch. And um, – that is always a big adventure. It's toward the end of the season, and um, it is it is a bit of a grind. But it's also those ones are a lot of fun. They're just it's they're just so different culturally, and even from each other. Like when you pack your bags to go to those, it's winter in in Australia, and it's sweltering hot in Malaysia. So you're throwing in your swim trunks and your jackets and beanies and everything. It's a yeah. It's a 
it's a little bit of everything. Yeah, it, it's funny, and and that's I guess those are the trips that you know whether you've bonded as a team or whether you just want to you know like get the season over as quickly as possible. Yeah, if there's if there's some uh, friction under the surface, usually it's going to boil over during those three flyaways. And I, this is going off on a bit of a tangent, but someone we both I, I think you know you know Liam Schubert, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 So uh, Liam is. Uh, Used to, he worked on the uh, Pramac. Well, yeah, it was still then Pramac under different ownership, yeah. but he worked for Pramac Ducati as a general mechanic and go getter. And he was actually moving up, and then he decided to move back home because he was, you know, broke and had lost forty pounds or thirty pounds, and was like, you know, frail. Anyways, yeah. but the, his his observation always struck me as like all the European guys. You go to all these different countries. They don't want to like experience it. They just want like to eat the food that they that mama cooked them and and kind of like go come back and then that's it. It's just it's funny because from an American's perspective, you're like, oh, the world, blah blah blah. Let's go figure it out. And from those guys, it seemed like no, no, no. I just want to be. I, I I just want what I know. So. Yeah, there's a couple of things about that. So one one is is for sure there's some truth to that. I mean. Um, I will say in particular, I think Italians, with, with obviously with exceptions, but Italians love their food for good reason. It's arguably the best food in the world. Yep, agreed. <laughs> and, um, agreed. The, the only problem is they don't get exposed to a whole lot of variety. Um, so they, they tend to not be the most uh, adventurous with their cuisine. Um, and I, I can definitely tell you that that's the case with my wife. <laughs> um, um, obviously, there's exceptions. Um, and then I will say also... Um, you know, even Americans are pretty guilty of it sometimes too. Maybe not so much with the food, but we sort of expect stores to be open late at night yeah. and things like that. And um, and we expect sometimes we expect uh, the rest of the world to be just like like our home. You know, the other thing I'll say is that it's such a weird world when you're traveling with the MotoGP circus, as you I think aptly uh, called it, just because it's 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 just like an army almost where you're you're just you're going to a country you, you land at the airport you go straight to the to the track or to the hotel and it's pretty much just between the track the hotel and the airport um and like during the day if you're on a team you're having your usually we would have our at least lunch and dinner in the hospitality and sometimes breakfast too and so, and there's just it's not like going to travel for a vacation no, where you're no. on your own you know it's 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 uh you really don't get to, unfortunately, you don't get to experience a lot of the, of the countries that you're going to. No, I, I go on some press trips for new car intros and stuff. And uh, my wife always jokes, oh, you're going to so-and-so. You're going to so like, yeah, you don't understand. They Our schedule is pretty much set from the time we land until the time we leave. They pretty much suck up all of your time. So it's not like yeah, you have yeah. a day or even a few hours to, to escape and go see anything. And it's, I know it's the same way with racing, so. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can, you can, it's a little bit like Groundhog Day. You can forget where you are. It's just like a, it's like a, it's like a motorcycle race series in a box where they just take that box and literally sometimes <laughs> with the flight yeah. cases going in the, in the big cargo jets and, um, you know, you arrive at the next one and open up the garage and your flight cases are there and, and it's, it's almost forget where you are sometimes. Yeah. And then was it after you had left, uh, being the press officer that you, uh, you wrote the book about Nikki? That was actually before. That was before, when I was okay. still at Road Racer X. Okay. Yeah, I, um, I, I was trying to remember, and I'm like, no, it was. It seemed it was around like oh seven, oh eight after he'd won the yeah. championship. But I'm like, well, exactly. what? I, I, you know how sometimes time flies and you just can't keep uh, dates. And it, 
trust me, it gets all jumbled up for me too. Um, but that's how I remember it basically is he won the championship in 06 and the book came out in 07. Um, it was just a side project that I did when I was, uh, when I was with road racer X and that was my, I've done a couple since then, but that was my first one. And, and it was a, it was a learning experience, but I couldn't ask for anybody better than the Haydens. It was obviously more focused on Nikki, but it also talked a lot about his brothers and even his, um, his sisters and parents yeah, and, you know, friends. And then you got to be pretty close with, uh, with obviously with the family and with Nikki, not only then, but, uh, then afterwards when, when he was with Ducati. So, um, yeah, I'm sure it was pretty rough on you and when everything happened this spring. So yeah, obviously when you know someone that intimately, it's hard not to have it affect you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was tough for, tough for his fans, tough for, tough for the whole industry. I mean, Nikki was special. He was, Obviously, you know, people tend to say things like that when somebody passes away, but um, it really was the case for him. Um, he was just a special person. When I worked with him, he was continuously a model for me, you know, of, of professionalism, and I would always try to, to live up to that, you know. I mean, he was he was a, really a dream to work with for a, for a press officer. He was punctual, just he could do, do you know, it, it just great for sound bites, great a great interview, um, usually one take on anything video, you know, just just a nice guy. You know, if you're driving to races with him or whatever, just just an enjoyable person to spend your time with. And um, yeah, it was it was when you know I was uh, headed out the door to go to work, and I got a um, a WhatsApp message on my phone from my brother-in-law in Italy asking me what was up with Nikki? He'd said he'd, he'd, I guess probably by that, by that point in Italy, it was already on the news and word, word hadn't really filtered out here yet. And, um, I didn't, I didn't know anything. So I, um, I sent a message to Nick Sannon, who's a, who, um, is a good friend of Nikki and mine and who drove Nikki's motorhomes And, and he confirmed that Nikki had been heard. And, um, you know, I, after that, it was just, trying to keep abreast of how things were going without being too intrusive with the family and everything. And, and, you know, and when he finally passed away, it was, uh, I mean, you know, it was not unexpected by that point, but, um, but he was just so full of life and so alive, you know, that it just seems like the last person you'd expect for that to happen to really. But, uh, yeah, it's been it was it was difficult to cope with for me just as as I'm sure it was for for his friends and for his obviously for his family but even even fans you know I think the fans felt a special connection with Nicky he would make you feel like he was your best friend the first time you met him even I'm sure if you never did meet him just you felt, kind of felt like you knew him and I can tell you what you see is what you get with him it was that that wasn't a front that that what you see on TV and the way that he smiled and and was kind and respectful and generous with his time and professional that's all that's all the real deal yep no and i the, the and, and i agree i covered him a little bit in the ama series before he left and uh yeah it was it was fun to watch him grow in those years and transfer from sort of 
I don't want to say an awkward kid, but wasn't the most polished kid to, uh, you know, he, when he went through the Honda, by the time he was done between the, the Suzuki PR factory and then the Honda PR factory, he was, he had it, he had it down, but it was, it was genuine too. So. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And I, he did get better at it over time. Actually, you were probably working with him before I was, I, I'd started in about Oh two or Oh three when I started at road racer X. I, I think it's something, I think the reason that or one of the reasons that he was good at it, one is I think he was natural, but two is he, he worked hard at it. I mean, he, mm-hmm. He wanted to be a professional motorcycle racer from day one, uh, or close to it, and um, that meant everything that comes with that. And I think, you know, Nicky is, I I always say that his 2006 World Championship was an example of how far you can get with just hard work. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were other guys that were more talented, um, but... Nick, nobody worked harder than Nicky, and you know sometimes to his detriment, I think. But um, that in '06, that was an example of how far it can take you by just just getting up every morning and doing your job as well as you can. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and then there's no good way to transition off of that. But uh, <laughs> let's talk about what you've been doing in the last couple of years. You um, you went to work and and you you went and worked on the on the PR side of things first in an agency and then now as you said you you've branched off and do it on your own so talk about that side of the world and not only going to work for an agency but then I mean going on going deciding like okay agency you got clients you know what you're doing every day and then all of a sudden you're like ah, let me do this on my own <laughs> and that's, a, that's a big that's a I mean for those of for, for those who have never gone and worked on their own and freelanced and your your paychecks only come as hard as you work and when you don't work you don't get paid that's a it's it's frightening and it's as exciting as it is frightening every day. So I'll yeah. let you take it from there. Well, for sure, it's been a it's been a, a learning experience, a learning opportunity to start my own business. I mean, um, I, I was I probably it's probably something that I maybe should have done a few years earlier, but I w- I just wasn't sure how much I would enjoy the business side of it. I I always I think I'm a creative person, and I I didn't I, I that seemed to me like something that wasn't necessarily creative but i've found that it actually is and i really am enjoying it so far i mean um just things like uh i mean to me they're they're new new learning opportunities like just getting your insurance set up and getting (laughs) learning how to do payroll and bookkeeping and and all those things that probably are relatively mundane to somebody who's been doing it for a long time but for me it was you know, doing the work itself for the clients, I pretty much had a handle on. And for me, it was a matter of learning to do the business side of things in a, in a hurry, you know, and then scaling up and staffing up. And I, I really, I really have enjoyed it. I, it, uh, it helps a lot that I immediately have been fortunate enough to have a really good client in American Honda. They're, they're my cornerstone client. And I think probably will be for the foreseeable future. Um, and, um, obviously I, I'd, I'd like to branch out a bit, but, um, there's a lot of work just for American Honda, sure. and I, I want to make sure that, that I'm able to to handle what I've committed to, committed my company to for them, and then look look at uh, expanding, going grow, growing a bit without going too crazy. I always, like I said, I'm, I I always want to stay in power sports. That's what I that's what I enjoy, and that's what I know, and that's what I love. So as long as I'm able to make that work financially, that's that's good for me. 
No, I, I completely understand it because the, the day gig for me these days is, is running content and social media for a small agency and we work with car dealers. And it's funny because like, you get that down, you know it, you're comfortable with it. And then a couple times we've tried to branch out and deal with other industries. It's not that we can't do it. It's just that there's a different level of or there's a different style of communication that sometimes is just it's like, well, that's what we're talking about. No, or or. It's easy, I, or say, or when you're writing stuff or, or posting stuff yeah. or whatever you're doing, and like you know something so intimately, motorcycles, cars. I mean, like right. I, I, I I dream that stuff. I mean, it, it haunts my dreams. And then <laughs> exactly. we get, you know, then we get a, a company that does online uh, boutique uh, fashion stuff for a little while, and it was like I don't know anything. Unfortunately, we had two people working for us who did. So I'm like, okay, that's your <laughs> that's your yeah, area. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll look at quality. I'll look at you know quality of the content and stuff like that but as far as actual content so yeah i i, I get the wanting to stay in the power sports because it's what you know and it's what you're good at yeah obviously i want to be open-minded and um i would consider most things but um i like i say, that's what i that's i that's what i know i, I know that i can that's sort of my niche and, and um I, I i know this industry really well i mean i know i know it from a bunch of different directions now from racing from product from dirt side, which I was doing, that was mainly what I was focused on at Cycle News, to the mm-hmm. road side. Um, and now, you know, with Honda, four-wheel stuff like ATVs and side-by-sides. So uh, even I even worked um, at a jet ski magazine for a couple of years when I was at Cycle News. I feel like it, if I can bring my ability and my, my staff's ability to tell stories and to create meaningful content to the area that I, that I, that we, that we all know so well, which is power sports that I can make my company, I can carve out a niche and, um, and I can, I can be successful in this industry. And so far it's been working out. Yeah, that's good. And then looking as, as you look at the, as you look at the tea leaves looking forward, do you see sort of a slow kind of recovery or just the, the, the areas, as you said earlier, that are going to be popular, just going to be different, like off-road ADV, side by side that kind of truly right i mean since motorcycles are have become at least in the u.s recreational that it will truly be as even more recreational as far as endeavors you know riding not necessarily riding on the street and racing but being being the push but more off-road and desert and things like that you know um it's tough to predict exactly i mean i do think that there will always be uh a place for power sports and it, 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 exactly what form it will take and what what direction it'll go. It's tough to say. I, I would love to see more people using motorcycles not just as recreation, but as a as a tool, um, a practice. You know, because they are very practical in a lot of ways. Well, especially where you are in in the in the L.A. area, just right commuting yeah. on a motorcycle could take an hour off of your commute because of uh, of splitting lanes and and uh, uh, carpool lanes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly, and and you know they're easier to park, and that's you know I li- I've lived in Europe and I've seen motorcycles used in that way, and I, and it's and I think it also it's just it, it's it's good for the industry, but it's also good because it gets a lot of those people, a lot of those you know if you're using it as if if young kids are getting on scooters and stuff, then they're more inclined to pick up motorcycles and maybe go racing, you know, just like Valentino and his friends used to ride ride scooters when they were kids, you know. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's I I. I I don't think it's. I have no reason to think that it's going to 
go down at this point. It seems like to me like it's it's going in the right direction, and we just have to all be good stewards of the of the sport and of the industry and try to do what we can to to expose more people to what a great pastime it is make it it, normalize it as we say (laughs) yeah yeah exactly democratize it normalize it and again i think a lot of that comes down to 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 storytelling that's something that you know can take a lot of different forms i try to do it with my pr work with 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 honda but even even like uh, public facing consumer facing content you know on websites and stuff or or in in print or whatever whatever form it might take i think we just have to we have to try to not just um tell the same old stories we have to try yeah. to be sincere and tell tell stories that uh, that that showcase the sport yep agreed agreed well, I think that's a, a good place to wrap it up. So, uh, Chris, we appreciate the the time that you've taken out of your day and, uh, and spending it with us here on the False Neutral, and uh, wish you good fortune going forward. And hopefully, we'll uh, not be so long before we uh, we talk again. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you getting in touch. And I'm again, it's glad glad to see that you're still in the podcast game. And um, you know, you're again, you're a pioneer and and ahead of your time. So um, it's good to see you still still at it. Yeah, I appreciate it. So, uh, well, that wraps up this episode. So, uh, make sure that you uh, like us on iTunes. You know, give us uh, give us a rating over there. Head on over to our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash the false neutral. Make sure you like it. Uh, make sure you leave comments. If you have questions, make sure you leave them on there as well. And we'll we'll uh, put together a bunch of them. We'll do a question episode here uh, pretty soon. So, until we talk to you again, have fun, be good. Most importantly, keep it on two wheels. We'll talk with you soon. Bye bye.